I was talking uh, this morning to my friend, Stuart Greaves. He's out in St. Louis preaching at Grace Church, our friends out there at Grace Church this morning. And uh, he was asking me, you know, what are you speaking on this morning? What are you highlighting? And I said, I want to talk on uh, eternal rewards and the glory of the age to come and seeing and celebrating the smallness of our assignment. Now, as the Lord sees it, he said, I'm talking on the exact same thing. He said, I preached on it last night. We had no idea. I preached on it last night. I'm preaching it on it, on it again this morning. And uh, anyways, that just so encouraged me. I mean, I have no idea if this is going to be good, but at least we're all encouraged. You know what I mean? So God's with us. <laughs> I'm going to pray. Father, we love you. We come before you. Lord, we love your word and we love your ministry and your leadership in our lives. The way that you direct us, the way that you guide us. Lord, I ask for my friend, Stuart, I ask that you would anoint his words this morning. And Grace Church, that whole fellowship, that spiritual family, I ask that you would release the spirit of wisdom and revelation on them this morning in power, that you would touch this state, Lord, Kansas City, St. Louis, the friendship that is between these two cities and ministries over the years and what you're doing in these unfolding purposes. We remember Wes and Amanda Martin that are there serving and laboring that were here so many years. Lord, we love the spiritual family, what you're doing, Lord, through us that we get to be a part of. And we just love you so much, Father. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at Matthew 25 this morning and a little bit of Matthew 24. We're going to highlight one of the key parables here, the parable of the stewards, but we're not going to get to that until page three on the notes. The, the first part is just an introduction. So most of you have been tracking with this message, some of you, uh, for many, many years. Others of you are more new, and this is one of the foundational uh, messages and values that we have as a spiritual family is that we would derive a sense of motive and value from the eternal wards that come in the age to come after the return of the Lord. Jesus taught extensively on this topic throughout the gospels and he motivated his people to gain a vision and to have insight into the faithfulness in our assignments now and how that relates in the economy of God in the age to come in terms of our rewards and our place of authority and position with him in the age to come, the opportunity to rule and reign with him. Well, let's look at the notes. Those of you that are following along, you don't have to, but for those of you that are following along, as the day of the Lord nears, and comes closer and closer, which obviously that's every single day. We get nearer to that. We're going to begin to see these signs and these trends in society and in the earth that indicate that day approaching. That's Matthew 24. And in Matthew 24, towards the end, and then in Matthew 25, Jesus gives us practical responses as the body of Christ, the nearer that we get to that day. One of them, the one that we're going to highlight this morning, is that we would refocus on our kingdom assignments. Now, let me put this in perspective just for a moment. <clears throat> it's that as trouble increases in the nations, all right, as darkness is going to come to maturity, it's going to come to fullness before the day of the Lord, and there's a great harvest. 
and everything that is of God and his kingdom and everything that is of the evil one in the world is gonna both grow up at the same time and come to maturity in the same hour. So the mature church in love and the mature world in darkness and evil, it's going to culminate in the same generation just before the Lord's return. And one of the most practical uh, applications to that reality is that we as believers would take our assignments seriously before the Lord within our sphere of influence. This is a remarkable practical application from Jesus. He gives weird applications in the human mind because he's saying there is trouble that's coming. There is great trouble unlike the earth has ever seen before. We might say, well, what are we supposed to do? He goes, take your assignment seriously before me. And a lot of people are figuring out their assignment. They may not know what their assignment is. Here's the easiest way to figure out what your assignment is. Your assignment are the 10, the 15, the 20 people in your life that you can influence and show them the love of Christ and you can speak into them. That's not the entirety of it, but for most people, that's what it is. Your assignment right now is whatever season and place and location that you're in before the Lord. You might work at a restaurant and bus tables. You might be a stay-at-home mom with three kids. You might be in the marketplace and have two or three people assigned under you in your department of accounting or whatever it is. Your assignment is whatever God has set right in front of you right now. And that's very confusing to many people because they imagine that their assignment in God is off in the way future years from now and that they're just getting ready for their real assignment in God. And he's going, well, actually, I have lots of assignments before you that will change. It will ebb and flow. You'll be here in this city for a while, and then you'll uproot and go over here and move your family and have children and da-da-da-da. Your assignment will ebb and flow, but your assignment typically is whatever is in front of you right now. And the Lord wants us to take that very seriously. For most believers, our assignment in God is very small. Uh, it's, it, it's, our sphere of influence is very small. It might only be 5, 10, 15 people that we're really called to minister to, to serve, and to show the love of Christ, make a few disciples along the way. I mean, our sphere of influence is relatively small as the way that man sees it. And that's one of the problems is that <clears throat> most people despise their assignment. And by despise, they see it as very small and insignificant. And we're constantly dreaming of when people will take us more seriously, when our sphere of impact will be larger, when we'll have more money and more people listening to us and our friendship group will be 50 people and maybe we go and plan a church someday and da 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 all these things. <clears throat> and for most people, that's actually not going to happen. And for 99% of the body of Christ, our sphere of influence is relatively small. And the Lord says, I want you to see your assignment in the way that I see it. That's what we're gonna talk about this morning. But anyways, back to this point. Jesus has odd applications for the day of his appearing. This is one of them. 
by the way. He's coming back. He's coming to the earth. Take your assignment seriously. Disciple your kids. Get coffee with a person 10 years younger than you. Speak into their life. Serve your community and your neighbors. Volunteer at your church. Go and give money to the poor. Find needs around you that you can meet, whether it's $10 or $10,000. That is our primary assignment before the Lord. He goes, this is what I want you to do in light of my coming. I mean, this is remarkable to me. He's got other weird ones. The Lord, application points. First Peter chapter four. He says, the end of all things is near. And then one of the things he says is to be hospitable. <laughs> you know, the end of all things is near. The sky is falling and Armageddon looms. Be hospitable. You know, it's just, his leadership is so bizarre and his application points are often not our application points. And that's why he wrote them down for us. That's why we're highlighting them so that we as the people of God, we respond appropriately and commensurately in the day in which we're living even right now. Paragraph C, <clears throat> if you're following along, many right now in our nation, many believers in the body of Christ, they're swept up caught up in the macro narrative of what is going on. And they are very consumed with national and international issues. And in the midst of this, there is rising confusion, there is rising fear, there's rising deception. And the Lord is calling his people, this is his application point, to draw their eyes back to the assignment that's in front of them and to glory and to celebrate in the smallness and the hiddenness of it because that is what God sees and celebrates. He rejoices in the small fruits and the virtues of our lives that grow that no one outwardly sees. He loves when a parent at night, after they're so exhausted, they exercise that muscle of humility and meekness to not be frustrated at their kids, to love them, be gentle with them, and tender with them as they tuck them into bed. He loves the fruit of meekness and humility in our life. And the fruit in our lives, in this regard, both the internal fruit and the external fruit is what God sees and savors and rejoices in. And this is very different than the way that the human understanding, just in our natural human mind, we don't typically see and savor and rejoice in those things the way that God does. And that's why he highlights it to us over and over and over and over again in scripture because he's looking at us and our spiritual family. I mean, he's looking at the body of Christ. He's going, guys, my economy is so much different than yours is. My economy is a completely different currency with a completely different value system and a completely different retirement fund and a completely different interest rate. You have no idea what my economy is, but he goes, I wanna show you my economy. I'll do it through the life and ministry of Jesus and I'll reveal it to you in the word of God because the Lord 
shockingly, wants us as the body to engage in the economy of heaven in accordance with the value system and the rules of the economy of heaven. If you're engaging in an economy, but you're using the wrong currency, with the wrong mindset, and you're doing the wrong things with the resources, it doesn't matter how sincere you are. It doesn't matter how devoted you are. It will not gain the return that the Lord promises when we don't do it in accordance with his principles. And so the Lord <clears throat> is highlighting this to us, and he highlights it in Matthew 25, right after this incredible chapter of Matthew 24, where he says, these are the signs of what's coming. Get ready. And then he says, and learn my economic system in the kingdom so that as you serve me and as you love me, there will be a great reward that awaits you on the other side that you can't really see right now. And it's mostly hidden and it's mostly veiled and it seems really insignificant and it can be, uh, in the natural, it can feel wearying and discouraging to us. Paragraph two, just a uh, quick overview. There's a coming crisis, we know that, and there's a Christian response. Some key highlights of the coming crisis, I have them written down here, there's gonna be an increase of deception. There's gonna be geopolitical upheaval in the earth. There's going to be an upheaval in creation. There's going to be the release of anointed preaching of the gospel in an unprecedented way. There's gonna be the ministry of the Antichrist. The man of sin is gonna be revealed. He's gonna come on the scene at some point. I'm not claiming to know when that is. These are some of the signs and trends that Jesus highlights in Matthew chapter 24. And then, look at page two. Jesus highlights five key responses to those signs. There are many other signs throughout the scripture that Jesus highlights, but in direct relation to these growing trends that we see, he highlights five key things as I see them. There are probably more. Number one is that we would live watchfully and prayerfully before him. We would actually pay attention to these signs. We would look out into the culture, into society, and we would examine them in accordance or in contrast to scripture, we would say, and ask the question, are these signs happening and are they escalating in the way into the magnitude that Jesus highlighted in the word? Number two, he speaks to leaders directly and he tells them to lead with diligence and to avoid bitterness. Number three, the Lord highlights the importance of cultivating the oil of intimacy. That's a phrase that we use here, to have a deep inner life in God as a priority. Number four, this is the one we're gonna highlight today uh, and look at deeper, to faithfully engage in our assignment. And then number five is to love and serve the least of these, those that are on the margins, those that are forgotten, and ultimately that the body of Christ would stand with the nation of Israel and the great hour of trouble that is coming. Well, just a little bit more kind of backdrop to understanding these eternal rewards. The saints are going to rule with Jesus in the millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom is the thousand year reign of Christ after his return 
that will be on the earth, centered in Jerusalem. That's where the throne of the Lord is gonna be. And his government and his peace, we're told in the scripture, is going to increase and the glory of God, the knowledge of the Son of Man is going to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. He's gonna bring into subjection every sphere of society and life. He's going to be the king of all the kings, of all the leaders of the earth. And leadership in the age to come and kingdoms and nations are not going to go away simply because Jesus comes back to the earth. But rather they're gonna come under his leadership. And it's within that context that the Lord invites us now to be faithful stewards of what he's given us so that we have the opportunity to be great in his eyes and to rule and reign with him in that day, that future day after his coming. We wanna have a vision for Christ's rewards. And many people misunderstand this entirely because in their sense of, I mean, it's really false humility. They say, I don't wanna be great in the kingdom. I don't need to be great or have a vision for that in the kingdom. I'm fine just to serve and, and kind of be lowly. But Jesus and the apostles reiterated over and over and over, number one, you have an intrinsically wired desire inside of your heart to be great and to aspire to greatness. Number two, Jesus motivated his disciples, which is also us. He motivated, he wants us to be motivated through getting reward from him as a statement of his love and affection for us in the age to come. And as he grants reward to us, and the scripture is filled with numerous rewards that we actually receive or can receive in the age to come, it's a statement of his commitment to us. It's a statement when he looks at the faithfulness of our life, he goes, I love that and I call that great. And part of that greatness is actually ruling with him and reigning in the age to come. Paragraph A, I'm on page two now. Everyone has a vision for reward in their life. You actually do. Every person in this room has a vision for reward. We're all trying to be rewarded in some way. We're trying to be rewarded by our families, by being consistent and faithful and wise and you know keeping our tempers in check. We want to be rewarded. We want them to see that and acknowledge that in us. That's not necessarily wrong to do. We should do that more. We want our boss or our manager at work to see the hard work that we're putting in and to promote us. We want that. We want those that are in ministry, we want our supervisor to acknowledge the labor of our ministry and say, hey, you're doing a good job, keep going. Every person right now has some sort of construct that they're operating in in order to get some sort of reward. Others their construct for reward is to reward themselves. I'm going to work really hard in this particular area. I'm going to acquire a skill or I'm going to make money. Why? So that I can use that money to expand comfort, to get a nicer house or get a nicer car, or go on a longer vacation or whatever it is. The point is this, every person is wired with it to have a construct for reward in their own life. And we can't repent of that and we can't change that. 
but we can repent of the way of seeking to have that desire for greatness and reward fulfilled outside of Christ. And he wants us to know that there is a fulfillment, there is a joy to be had in him when we seek rewards and greatness within God's economy. And that's the important part is that we seek it under the administration of the king, Jesus, that we serve and that we've pledged our lives to. And this is very important to us. We have to come under his authority. We have to come under his administration. We have to see him as the Lord and as the sovereign leader of our lives and say, I am going to do and say and serve in a way that pleases you first, not primarily those that are around me and those that are in my life. Paragraph B, Jesus revealed throughout the scripture a new paradigm for greatness. We're to focus on becoming great in God's sight, not in man's sight. And so many live in the rat race of trying to be great and acknowledged in the eyes of men. And this is inside the church, outside the church. I mean, this is everywhere. Everyone is trying to impress someone else. Everyone is trying to convince other people of just how excellent they are, how attractive they are, how good they are, how diligent they are. And we're all trying to do this and we're all in this pace. And when Jesus comes and he reveals the father, he says, there's a father in heaven who administrates his family and his family work. It's called the kingdom of heaven. He says, I wanna show you the way that you would want to, that you would pursue being great in the eyes of the Father. There is no greater declaration that we can have as a Christian over our life than for God to look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's in the passage we're about to look at, Matthew 25. There is nothing greater than that. No matter how many applauses we get, no matter how many war, awards we receive, the accolations of man, medals, promotions, new opportunities, the sphere of our life, no matter how many things do that, if God does not look at us and call us great, it does not matter. It actually will not matter or amount to anything of eternal significance. And so the Lord is shifting our paradigm. He goes, I know the way that you think. I know the way your heart is wired. I know the effect on sin, that it's taken advantage of the way that you're wired. You're trying to seek greatness through the lens of others and their accolades of you. He goes, but I'm gonna change that lens and I'm gonna get you into my economy and into understanding what I call great and what I call radical and what I call committed. I think this parable reveals three things to us. This parable in Matthew 25, we'll look at it here in a moment. I think it reveals three things to us. Number one, there will be people in the age to come that will be great, and we have no idea who they were in the natural sense. They weren't the headline men and women throughout church history. I think we'll be surprised by that, actually. 
I think there will be men and women that will be exalted in the age to come and have much authority and we had no idea who they were. Do you know how many believers there are out there? Nobody knows who they are. I mean, there are tens of thousands and millions of believers in little out of the way places. They're taking their assignment seriously before the Lord. They're cultivating love in secret. They don't have some big ministry. They don't have a YouTube channel. No one's ever heard them preach. They may not have ever preached a public sermon before. And in the age to come, they're gonna be sitting on some big throne next to Jesus. We're gonna go, who's that? Is that, you know, one of the apostles? Is that whatever? The Lord's gonna go, no. No, 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 that was just like a mom in Malaysia that really took her assignment seriously. And I've exalted her because she was faithful in what I called her to do. I think that'll be surprise number one. Surprise number two, I think we'll see people in the age to come that we do recognize and they won't have been given as much as we thought they would. Why? Because we're not the ones doling out the accolades and the awards. And I don't know this for a fact, I'm just guessing. I think there's gonna be people that we recognize, we've read books about, there's biographies published about them. They have, you know, big impact and they've impacted civilization and societies and the kingdom of God and all this stuff. And in the age to come, when the Lord looks at their heart, they actually weren't faithful in the small assignments that were before them and they won't have the great accolades and uh, awards that we imagined that they would. I think that'll be shocking. And then shocking point number three is that every believer right now that's still alive, every believer has a chance to be great in the kingdom of heaven in accordance with God's value system in accordance with his economy. I think that's shocking point number four. You don't have to have some notable name. You don't have to have some reputation and be known by all these people, but in the hiddenness of the mundaneness of our lives, we have the opportunity to be called great by the Father in the day of the Lord. It's glorious. So let's look at this parable. The parable of the faithful steward, Matthew 25. Look down at verse 14. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. He called his servants. He delivered goods to them. He gave five talents to one and to another two and to another one. Verse 16, he that received the five talents, he traded with them. He made another five. He increased what the Lord had entrusted to him within his assignment. The one that had two, he did the same thing. Verse 18, but the one that received one of the Lord's money, he hid it. Then the Lord comes and he settles accounts in verse 19. Obviously, I'm just kind of paraphrasing through this. The one that brought the five, the one that brought the two, the Lord gives them the same commendation in verse 21. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful, you are entrusted, you are diligent with the few things that I gave you within your particular sphere. He says, now I'm gonna make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And then he deals with the servant that only has one who didn't understand the master's heart. He said, I knew you to be a hard man. Verse 25, I was afraid. And then the Lord answers him and it says, you've been wicked and lazy. So let's look at some of this. The Lord calls us to see the value 
of the labor of our assignment, whether it's big, five talents, whether it's medium, two talents, or whether it's seemingly small and insignificant, one talent, the Lord does not count our labor and work as a vain thing. A lot of people have this idea that work and labor, meaning effort into the relationship, effort into the kingdom, effort into our, into our lives is the result of the fall. And we need to somehow get away from labor because it's the result of the fall. But it actually is the redemptive part of the fall. It's God's way of redeeming the fall. And he's going, even though you're fallen, you can still labor with me and see my kingdom expanded. The scripture tells us that God himself labored, the father. He actually worked. That's why he takes a day off called the Sabbath. He actually works. The father works. <clears throat> In the same way, the son, Jesus, he labors. He's laboring now. He's laboring presently. He labored in his ministry on the earth. Jesus is committed to accomplishing the assignment that his father gave him, the entrustment of the father. He's committed to it. And the assignment that Jesus bore was a very difficult assignment. It was hard. It was laborious. It was mundane. It was hidden. Scripture is filled throughout, particularly the prophet Isaiah, filled with uh, understanding of the hiddenness of Christ's labor and ministry and how he was mostly unknown and mostly unregarded. And he was despised. Some of those phrases that we know from Isaiah 53, he was despised by man. His labor was despised by most of humanity. Think about that. <clears throat> I think of my own labor. You know, if they're despising Jesus's labor, I mean, my labor is so weak before him. But he goes, rather than being discouraged, he says, I want you to take it seriously before me. I want you to labor with me. The message of this parable in Matthew 25 is that we're to be faithful and good servants and carry a servant spirit. And faithful means that we're diligent. We're diligent with what God has entrusted to us because the, the parable is about stewardship. So God has entrusted something to every individual. He gives each believer a specific assignment that's based upon their capacities and their natural gifting. And so to one, he goes, here is what I'm entrusting you with. And in the parable, it represents five talents, which is money. He, give, he, he gives that steward five talents. He goes, I want you to be faithful with this to another two and to another one. That means that the Lord divvies out in accordance with his own choice, his own sovereign desire. He divvies out our talents, our gifting, our capacity, our ability, the sphere of our influence, our leadership gifts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He, he doles it all out. And one of the remarkable things from this parable that I love is that the one guy that gets five and the one guy that, get two, that gets two talents, they both receive the same commendation from the Lord. Some people in, in, uh, interpret what they have in life, like maybe they have a lot of, you know, or the thinking of a person that has a lot of resources, a lot of money, a lot of influence. They say, wow, 
the Lord must really like that person. And the amount of influence that they have is a statement over how much the Lord likes them. I don't have that influence. I don't have that sphere. I don't have that intellect. So God doesn't like me as much. And that's actually a wrong interpretation of what's happening here in the parable. The Lord grants all of us a sphere. He calls us all to diligence, to faithfulness, to perseverance in our assignment before the Lord. And then he says the reward actually can be, you can all receive the same commendation before me. You can all be great before me. It's about how faithfully and seriously you take your assignment in the Lord. The guy with five, he valued his kingdom assignment. He invested it diligently and he saw fruit that was born. And when the master came and evaluated his life, he said, well done. He said, you've done an excellent job. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And I wanna encourage our spiritual family that no one should ever retire from the labor of building the kingdom. Don't take a season off. You know, we have lots of interns that are around here, young people. We have students in our ministry school. And some people think this isn't a time for me to invest and build in the kingdom. This is a time for me to just kind of take it all in. Some attend church here and they attend, you know, once a month, twice a month, whatever, every week, whatever it is. And they're not really thinking there's an assignment that God has for me here, a part of this spiritual family, to minister with my gifts, to find out what they are, to serve, to love, to love my city, to love my community. And so I'm just kind of waiting around for some big, exciting opportunity to come along. Others, they're in their later years in life. They're 50, 60, 70, whatever it is years old, and they think, I've labored in ministry for so many years. I'm just ready to retire, kick back. And they give up in their spirit in terms of building the kingdom and building God's purposes through others, through love and service and encouragement and all those things. And I wanna encourage us to not take this position and to not take this mentality as a spiritual family, but to actually go in the opposite direction and actually think of our lives as a race, that goes all the way to the finish line. And if we give up at any point in the race, we don't cross the finish line. And we wanna, as a people, we wanna spur one another on to cross the finish line. Every portion of the race, whether you're 20, whether you're 30, or whether you're 65, every portion of the race is important. And the Lord calls us to diligence and excellence in running that portion of the race. And to not just kind of draw back and just say, well, you know, I did that, Six months ago, I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to be about the Father's business. And I don't need to be about building his kingdom. And I wanna urge us to go in the opposite spirit of that. Well, the master in verse 19 settles accounts. And this means that each person is going to be evaluated in accordance with what God has entrusted them. Not according to what they do not have, or what others have. So many live in the torment of believing that they don't have an assignment or that their assignment isn't meaningful before the Lord. And they look across the fence and they go, well, that guy, that gal, they've got an assignment that seems exciting 
and fun and there's growth and there's finances flowing, there's opportunities. I want their assignment. And the Lord says, I mean, I understand that, but what about your assignment? I have something right before you. And when we talk at the judgment seat, we're not going to talk about someone else's assignment. We're not gonna talk about what you don't have. We're gonna talk about what you do have. And the Lord uses us to build his kingdom and to further his purposes with the sphere of influence and the capacities that we do have, he will not penalize us for what we don't have. I mean, this is a remarkable thing. When you stand before the Lord, you give an account for what God has given to you, not what you didn't have that you longed for, that you wished for, that you hope for the opportunity of. He goes, we're, we're gonna talk about what you had right in front of you. I love the parable of you know, feeding the 5,000. There's this big need. It's a kingdom need. We gotta feed these 5,000 people. And Jesus says to the disciples, basically, what do you have? They go, well, I only got two loaves and, or two fish and five loaves from this kid. Let's take it from the kid. Let's see what we can do this. God always builds his kingdom with what he has and what you have, and he wants to work through you with what you have to further his purposes. And whether you esteem those in the way that God does or not, doesn't really matter. He sees them, he values them, he loves them, and he can multiply our small little abilities. I'm talking about me. He can use me and the smallness of my sphere to impact and bring glory to his name and bring glory to the kingdom of heaven. Our assignment <clears throat> might be small in man's eyes, but it's important in God's eyes. And he rewards his people per, for uh, persevering in it. We have to be motivated by how important our work and our labor is before the Lord. I think of the vast majority of the body of Christ that attend church, go to a small group, they most aren't connecting with this truth that their assignment really matters before the Lord. They don't even think they have an assignment. They're waiting for some tap on the shoulder where they're gonna be given some big opportunity in business or the kingdom, something that has huge impact. You know, all of a sudden, I'm gonna be given $10 million to make kingdom impact and all this stuff. And what if that doesn't happen? And what if we spend our whole life living in the torment of imagining just a year or two from now, my real assignment will come, my real assignment, and we miss what the Lord has called us to right now. Even as a young believer in the Lord, don't miss what the Lord has called you to do right now. Do it with excellence. Do it as unto the Lord. You're waiting on tables at Cheddar's. Be the best waiter or waitress the earth has ever seen. Remember every customer's name. Keep the water flowing. I mean, know the menu. I mean, be the best you can because our labor, Scripture Paul tells us, is not unto man, but it's unto the Lord. Even in the smallest, most insignificant things, labor as unto the Lord because he sees it and he celebrates it and he wants us to do the same. Well, he says this phrase in verse 21. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. 
We wanna get a vision to hear this at the end of our life. We wanna tell ourselves this all the time. We wanna encourage one another. The vision of our life would be when we stand before Christ that he would look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, people on the earth could be saying that about us and it not be true from heaven's perspective. People could be looking at, at our life and encouraging us and patting us on the back and saying, well done, good and faithful servant, that's awesome. But if heaven does not say that, then it does not matter ultimately. And, and I'm not saying we shouldn't encourage one another. I'm saying we've gotta get God's economy. We've gotta get God's standards and then live up to those standards within our own lives and the secret of our own heart and the secret of our home and the secret of our H&R block cubicle that we work in, you know, 40 hours a week. We have to live up to God's standards for what it means to be a faithful servant. Jesus defined in verse 21, the guy with five talents, in the natural, we'd say, whoa, that's a high-level guy. He's got five talents. He's got more than other people. There's an unusual amount of resources that's been given to him. Even in light of that, the Lord looks at it. He says, in my economy, in my kingdom, that's actually a very few things. That's actually a small thing. He goes, I'm the Lord of the cosmos, he goes, you might think that having a million people listening to you and being on the preaching team and da-da-da-da and all this stuff, that that's something to wow about, write 50 books. He goes, I'm the Lord of the cosmos. I know every star by name. Your assignment, even if it seems big in the eyes of men, it's small when you compare it to the Lord of glory and the Lord of all creation. And he goes, I want you, even in the big, to not just get lost in the wine of success and the applause and the opinion of other. Wow, you're just doing such a great job. You're killing it out there and lose track of the perspective of who I am as your Lord and as your God. He says, I want you to connect with this. I want you to get a vision to be great in my eyes, even as I've entrusted you with few things. Well, the last page here, the Lord in his economy, he exchanges the few things in our life for many things in the age to come. His APR, I mean, his interest rates are through the roof. You know, the stock market, it's like 8% or whatever on a good year. In God's economy, it's like 10,000%. We take our little assignment seriously. We love our families. We're kind to our roommates we actually, we clean up after them. We serve them. We go and give $5 to the person that's poor, that's standing on the street corner, you know, asking for money. We serve people. We're faithful. We read the word of God. We fill our minds with the word. We pray. We invest in others. We speak encouragement to their life. We restrain our speech before the Lord. He goes, I am going to show you an interest return on your hidden, faithful obedience to me in a way that is going to blow your mind. It is gonna shock people. It is gonna shock the kings of the earth and the mighty men and the so-called wise of this age. They will be shocked at who I promote in the age to come because my economy is very different than man's economy. In conclusion, I'm gonna jump down to the end here. We'll invite the worship team, come out. 
in conclusion is this. I have a sense, I think this is accurate, that pressures are increasing in our lives, you know? There's stuff going on out there. And, uh, and as we're doing that, it's easy to lose sight of the assignment of the Lord right in front of us. And whether it's big or small, that does not matter. What matters is that God has called you and he's positioned you and he's given you certain gifts, spiritual gifts. He's given you a certain amount of influence, maybe over only two or three people. Maybe it's four or five, six people back home that are your friends, whatever it is. He's given you a sphere of influence. He says, I don't want you to get lost in the macro narrative of things that you actually can't control. You pray into them, you vote, but you cannot control them at the end of the day. And I don't want you to, this is you know the Lord as a father, I don't want you to get lost in all of the chaos and all of the confusion right now and lose sight of the gold and the glory that's right in front of you. I wanna stir you to be diligent and to be faithful, to pick up things that maybe you've laid down. Because when the house is burning, we're rarely thinking about doing the dishes, you know? Let the reader understand. When the house is on fire, we're not thinking about doing the dishes. And, and right now, there's so many things that are on fire and people are running around crazy, like chickens with their heads cut off. And they're going, what is going on? What is, uh, and we, we gotta get on the internet and let everyone know what's happening and how our opinion is gonna fix everything. And we can run the risk as a spiritual family of losing sight of our assignment. The Lord's given us all an assignment. Let's stand. In our assignments that the Lord has for us, just take a minute, quiet your heart before the Lord. Ask the Lord about this. Say, Lord, what is my assignment before you? What is my assignment? How am I to be building your kingdom right now? How am I to be ministering or serving my neighbors? How am I to be ministering or serving those in the workplace? My boss, my coworkers, those that have roommates. How can I serve my roommate? They are part of your assignment as a kingdom ambassador, as a servant of the most high God. When we come before the throne of the Lord of all creation, we say, what am I supposed to do? He has set you in your assignment before him. That's what you're supposed to do until it significantly changes. But right now you're in it. You're in your assignment. You know, we sing that song, put me anywhere, put your glory in me. I'll serve anywhere. Just let me see your glory. Let me see your beauty. Some of you know that song. Put me anywhere, put your glory in me. God has done that right now, today, Sunday, 1134 Central Time. He has put you where your assignment is 
for right now. Are you taking that assignment seriously before heaven? Do you see it in the way that God sees it? Because we might despise our sides, but the Lord goes, no, 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 no. I've called you to be great before me. I've called you to be my faithful servant, to lead that Bible study, to love your coworker that's cranky and hung over tomorrow morning at work. Because this is what I've called you to do. I'm the Lord of glory. Will you do it? Will you take it seriously? Or will you live in the comparison of what other people are doing or what people expect in the outward and how the world defines success? Father, we come before you. We ask you, Lord, for the refreshing of our assignments before you, of our callings before you, of where you've called us to labor, where you've called us to sow, to be diligent, to be like a rock, to be iron and steadfast before you in our relationships, with our families, in our job assignments, in our ministry assignments, as students or interns, whatever it is, Lord, you've called us to see and to celebrate in the way that you do. We ask that you would come, that you would deliver us from the spirit of envy, Deliver us from the spirit of complaining and covetousness that despises our own assignment and wants someone else's assignment or wants a different assignment. We say, no, Lord, we're, we will resist that. We want to be faithful for you. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's just take a minute and just wait on the Lord.
anyone forward you feel like you've lost sight of your assignment before the Lord for whatever reason sometimes it's just life circumstances sometimes it's the assignment of the enemy or pressures in the culture society family whatever you've lost sight of that assignment before the Lord you want to come just stand before the Lord and like some of our ministry team to minister to you I want to invite you to come forward come stand before the Lord renew that commitment if you've lost sight of your assignment I want to read this. We'll release our ministry team to minister to anyone that comes forward. I want to read this Psalm 92. Psalm 92, verse 13 and 14. And then Justin uh, and team, you guys go back into that song. It says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. In the courts of our God, they shall still bear fruit even in their old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. The Lord calls us as his servants to be in the house of the Lord, the body of Christ, in the prayer room as a praying people before him, to have a freshness to our spirit and a flourishing of our own souls. Holy Spirit, we ask you would give us eyes to see what you see. We ask that you would renew the assignment that you had in front of us, that you would renew our vigor and our spiritual vitality, that we would not lose sight of it. We would not be discouraged. We would not be taken out or worn down 
by the enemy in this hour that you would refresh us as we stand before you. You would refresh us as we wait upon you. In Jesus' name. I try and save my life, I will 